Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Tom Stevens Show. This is your host, Tom Stevens, a psychotherapist here in Houston, Texas, coming to you live with a great topic today about grief with children, explaining death. Not the most uplifting topic, but sometimes it is the most real topic, explaining grief, explaining loss to children, especially younger children, and how to actually notice signs that they're not doing well, or how to notice uh, ways that you can help them move through the grief process. Like I said, I'm a psychotherapist here in Houston. I've worked with children and families for the past 20 years almost now, and want to be able to bring more of the information I talk with people about every day live to you. And what better way to do it than a talk show like this? If you have a question for me or a comment about the topic we're talking about today, you have got to call me. Area code 347-838-9737 is the number. Once again, area code 347-838-9737 is the number. You just call in if you want to talk to me live. Then you push the number one, and you will be put in the queue to be able to talk to me. So I am here for you. would love to hear what you have going on. We've had a lot happening in the news lately, and I have had a few months off from the talk show, and now I'm going to get them started again. So we will have some great topics coming to you in the near future. But today, I want to spend a lot of time talking about grief, loss, death, especially with children. We've had a recent situation here in Northwest Houston where a family of four was found what they thought at first was a murder-suicide in their home, two parents, two children, second and fourth grade. But it turns out now they think it was actually a homicide where they were all killed. Uh, So while the investigators can't quite figure out everything that's going on, we still have a second and fourth grader, especially in this area, uh, in a a tightly knit community, where they go to school and children go to school with them. So, you know, when you get scenarios where death occurs, and it's not just grandma and grandpa, it ends up being a neighbor or somebody that you're close to, uh, another friend, especially given that it's a child, So many questions come up and so many fears come up and so many worries come up. Parents don't know what to do or say with their children. Children don't know what to do or think about it. 
and can't process it. And so as a therapist, I thought, you know, one of the best things that I can do is, first of all, share my knowledge and experience on the topic. Second of all, be able to uh, give you some tips and pointers that will help you specifically be able to talk to not only your children but other children and know how to handle situations. Very often when death occurs with a child, especially when they're in school, you know, they go to school and not much is said about it. And uh, it's different if it's a high school student where they're all typically a lot older going through it. But when it's a younger, this one close to my home, which was second and fourth grade, then it all of a sudden changes the game. And I think uh, before going into any specific scenarios, I think there's a couple just key points to remember when it comes to death and children and, and even talking about it because sometimes they see it on the news, death and what it means. A lot of children have never been to a funeral. They don't know what that's like. And they don't know how to grieve and what the process is, and I'll go over that with you all today uh, also. But just remember a couple of things. Number one, we have to know what a child's age is. And you might have a 5-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 15-year-old in your home. We have to remember that where they're at cognitively is the most important part. Before children start to get to be 8, 9, really 9, 10, 11 years old, their processor in their brain works very differently. So the things that they hear go across very literally. So I, when they get older, they can process the information better. So the simple fact is our brain develops as it develops, and it's a pretty systematic approach. So brains can't process with younger children as quickly, and so they tend to see things more literally. Easiest way to point that out is like when September 11th, the 9-11 attacks happened up in New York we see the planes crashing into towers. Well, when children see the news, they see the repeat of the planes crashing, and they see 10, 15, 20 planes crashing into one building because they see it literally. And then the other thing to mention before I go to my first call is that they see things and hear things from many different sources. So children when they've experienced death, especially if it's on the news or with a friend or with a neighbor somewhere around, they will hear stories from friends at school, from people at home, parents, maybe brother and sister, neighbors. They hear stories from television. So they come from a lot of different sources, and many times there are different stories, conflicting stories. And so usually... They're all bits and pieces that are correct, but not the whole picture. And so children very quickly get overwhelmed and get confused and get frustrated and get sad. So I thought what I'd do today as part of the show is be able to give you pointers in three parts. Number one, just some things that you can do to help. Number two, some signs that you notice your children are not coping well with a loss or death. Because it can be grandma or grandpa just as well as it could be another child. But number three, some things that I would want you not to do, some things to avoid. You know, I wanted to bring on first my assistant, Kelly, who, uh, you know, fields calls for me every day from clients who have stuff going on or are worried or afraid 
and uh, actually lives in the community where this recent thing happened here. And I just wanted her to be able to kind of explain what's going on and, and get the pulse of all the people out there that are wondering what to do and what to say. And sometimes I think parents over-explain or get too involved in it. And then other times I think we get in this mentality of let's just not talk about it ever. And then the children end up hearing it from other places. So it's really key to stay in tune with that. Kelly, you there? Yes, I am. All right. Well, tell me, since you're amidst, well, you answer my calls from clients of mine every day, what, what is going on out there and what was this recent scenario so you can describe it better? Well, um, I think just with the change of the story, um, I think everybody's just kind of on edge. Um, I have um, three girls at the school. I have a fifth grader, a third grader, and a first grader. So my, the perspective for my children is, is just range all over the scale. You have one that doesn't really talk about it. You have one that's, you know, kind of aware. And then you have my fifth grader who's just uber sensitive, and she's just all over the place with what she comes home with every day. It's just a different scenario. Describe that because that's a good point you brought up. You have different age children. So tell me the ages and the levels because that leads into this cognitive, how their brain deals with it. So go ahead. Yeah, so uh, my young, my first grader, she is seven, and the the Fridays came home, you know, just very clingy, didn't really say much, just, you know, said she heard something about um, somebody at school and then, I have a third grader who is eight, and she was just, um, she came in and told me, but didn't tell me the whole story, and then my fifth grader, who is 10, um, going on 25, um, (laughs) she was very worried, very concerned, because the initial stories were that it was robbers, so she was worried that... um, we were going to have robbers. She didn't sleep very well that next night. And then and then she told me what the first scenario was, that it was a murder-suicide. She obviously did not use those words, but she said something that the father had been the one who'd done it. And she was very sad, lots of questions why parents would do something like that, um, very clingy as well. So the, the level of, of concern in each one of them was, was different. But now that the story has changed, um, the level of fear has, um, in in her for sure, has kind of escalated a tad bit that somebody is out hey. there and can hurt you. Right. And tell me this, because it will help people out there who aren't around here understand. There were two parents, two children involved in who, who are all have passed away. They were in their home for four days before somebody found them. But describe the community, because I think that plays a big part in it. You know, this is a community that actually has a school within it that feeds only from that community, right? So it's it's much more closed. Correct. Yeah. We we, we here in Coles Crossing we consider ourselves family, whether that be um, you know, being on a, a different street or what have you. We're very close knit and you're absolutely correct. The only children that go to our school are in Coles Crossing. So they play together. They are in sports together. They go to church together. The parents do things together. Our teachers, the majority, I would say, I would say 10% of our teachers live in Colts Crossing. So the, it has hit beyond um, a, a typical quote-unquote community, whereas this is, like I said, we are, we are a family within Colts Crossing. And, 
and our schools and our teachers. It's just it's it's been a tragedy to say the least. Yeah, that's terrible, man. Okay, so tell me this, like from calls you get or people you talk to, since you're a mom in that community, what are most people's biggest? I don't know whether it's what do I do or what do I say. What what is the pulse out there? Well, the the initial calls, you know, obviously a lot of my friends know that I work for you. Were with is fear. How do we tell our children? What do we say? You know, in in my particular home, we come we we come from a place of faith, so that's the direction that we go. And you and I both know not everybody out there comes from faith, so we all have to be aware of what can we say, what should we say. Um, currently, we're dealing the, the situation because obviously our children know that they have passed away. Now we're dealing with our teachers are still grieving, and it's it's very apparent, and the children are very aware of it. And um, and I think that's the, the next step of the grief process is how do our kids relate to their teachers, and how do they feel about these people that aren't just teachers to them? I mean, they spend more time with our kids than the majority of the time than we do. So. It's that on top of the grief yeah, of losing okay. these, these children. It's also how do they deal with them seeing their teachers still grieving? I mean, because like I said, they, these teachers live in these live in our community, and it, it wasn't just the student; it was their child in their heart. Yeah. So that yeah. kind of been the the next step of the issue. Very different than when, like I said earlier, there's death that happens. Unfortunately, well, fortunately, most children don't have to experience a whole lot of death, typically like with grandparents and things like that. But what happened here is they see another child die, okay? All of a sudden they're there one day, they're gone the next. And they, a lot of times children, you mentioned you're so young at seven and eight, at that young, so many times children start to think, is it me next? Who's going to be next? What is going to happen next? And they have so many questions, and I think a lot of times parents shoot straight to um, – I always tell parents, don't ask a question you already know the answer to. In other words, don't start drumming up stuff that you already know what this is about. And most of it with children is about anxiety, fear, stress. They are also the unknown, and they need to know that, number one um, – that you're there and that you will listen to them. And if parents can get anything, it's that they learn to listen to children because you don't have to have a response for everything that they say. It's kind of like you said, they'll come home with one story one day, one story the next. And if you have to respond to every single story or you have to tell them um, uh, that that's not true and that this is what happened, it confuses children very quickly. So I think the simpler the better and the more that you listen the better, especially when you have seven, eight, and ten years old. I mean, your ten-year-old. What's interesting with that, Kelly, is that a ten-year-old has a brain capacity to be able to process more, which is good in that they understand death is more real. But it's bad in that they start to wonder what's going to happen next. You know, well, it's funny. younger it's children funny don't you have as that. much of that. Yeah, and it's funny you said that when we were driving home um, on that Friday, um, our local Boy Scouts. Uh, did a visual um, for the family and for the the boys, and we drove by, and my 8-year-old, the only thing she really said, she goes, Mommy, they didn't live very long, did they? And I said, No, baby, they didn't, because they were the same age as her. And I think for her, 
she realized, holy moly, these poor mm-hmm. kids didn't live that long, and I'm the same age. So that, mm-hmm. But that was the only thing she said. So it, mm-hmm. that just shows yeah, that very, the different ages. Yeah, very different than a child who has a grandparent that passes away. You know, and when a grandparent passes away, we understand how long they lived and the life that they had and the time we had with them. I think what's it's hard enough to have known children that pass away. It, it's sometimes really hard, though, to not know the children and then to wonder, especially when you drive by their house or you hear somebody talk about them. And so I think, to me, communication is always a big thing. And if children don't have anything to say about it, then I always tell parents, then don't try to find something to say about it. You've probably already noticed this. It's probably good not to have the news on all the time or be talking about it in front of children a lot because they are better listeners than anybody else you'll ever know, and they'll soak in everything you say. Correct. (laughs) So what is, okay, so aside from what I'm going to talk about today, what is one piece of advice you think everybody would want to hear from a therapist today about what's happened in your community? Um, I would just say, um, I guess, like I said, the question is, is, um, because this is an ongoing investigation and there will be several different things coming up and down and what the final verdict will be, I I don't know at the end, but um, really how do we continue to help our children, um, maybe not by bringing it up, but by the signs that we need to look for, um, Mm I think that's something that is, is kind of important. You know, like I said, this is an ongoing thing. We, you know, our sheriff's department is great out here, but the presence is higher. Um, parents are getting frustrated at, at, this, at the, uh, the, the unknown of what really did happen. Um, so I think maybe um, really how do we spot the signs and, and continue to without giving a bunch of information or nagging them, really see what we can do to help them, as well as, you know, maybe talk about how they can deal with, you know, their their teachers and the administrators at the school knowing that they are so sad. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Okay, I'm going to cover all those. I know you've got to go, but I'm going to cover all those now, okay? Sounds great. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Kelly. Okay. All right, so here's the deal. Again, if you want to call in and ask something else, have another scenario or have another question about that, please do, 347-838-9737. But her question is good. How do we notice when our children are not doing well? Because your child can actually experience death, loss, trauma, and uh, it not be real close, like a family member. It could be a neighbor. It could be your child goes to a school and somebody passes away that they didn't even know, like a teacher that they'd never even had before, and it can still affect them. So loss, death, and trauma affects everybody differently. But I think I'm going to approach this from this angle. Number one, if you notice your child through any adjustment, but especially death and loss, getting more fearful, regressing in their behavior, a lot of times what happens is bedwetting, Uh, not just bedwetting, but regress behavior back to infant stages. could be thumb-sucking. It could be um, kind of hiding away in a corner. It could be wanting to sleep with mom and dad again, which, by the way, you know, a night or so 
of them sleeping with mom and dad and, and needing some extra reassurance is okay. You just don't want it to become a part, a new part of your life. That any regressed behavior is something to watch for. So again, bedwetting, thumb sucking, wanting to sleep with mom and dad, um, the talking, maybe a little bit more babyish type talk. You just really want to watch carefully and see if behavior regresses, if there's clingy where your child starts to get more than typical, clingy, holding on, can't be alone, they want to go everywhere with you, or when, even when you're in the house, they want to like physically be touching you or right next to you or cuddled up against you, any kind of clinginess, or if there are any kind of major mood swings, okay, anger outbursts, more aggressive than normal, or more emotional, mood goes uh, the opposite, where they start crying, tearing up, and getting uh, sad or feelings hurt over any little thing when they used to not do that, those are all key signs that something's not right. Now, mind you, everybody has a bad day and everybody has a bad week. So just because they're struggling this week or you seem like, man, they are just emotional and they're crying all the time or they can't stop talking about this situation that happened or this death, like Kelly said, in their community. Uh, there's unknown information. Uh, and I'll tackle that one. What I'm going to do is tackle that one all by itself a little bit more towards the end of the show so that people can hear specifically towards this situation in our community. But for general speak terms, as far as loss and death goes, Anytime you start to see regressed behavior going back towards infancy in any direction, they could be 15, they could be 10, they could be 5, and they can still go backwards. Anytime you see them go backwards, behaviorally or emotionally, those are signs to say, you know what, I might need to call somebody because if they have a bad week, it's normal. If it goes two weeks, I always tell people give a call to somebody. Give a call to a professional find a therapist or a friend that knows a good therapist that you can just say, hey, this is what I'm noticing, what's happening. And usually if you call me and say it's been two weeks, I'm going to say, you know what, hold on for another week, say this or do that, just do a couple of tweaks and see if it changes. And if by three weeks it doesn't change, three or four weeks, then you want an appointment and you want to get in and kind of see what what needs to be done here because Behavior that's regressed like that lasting more than three weeks is not typical. That's when something can start to snowball and become a pretty major issue. So when it comes to death, many times children will freeze and they get fearful. And the fear is something could happen to me or uh, something could happen to somebody around me. And so they don't want to, it's almost like I don't want to move in the dark and I'm going to stand still because, uh, you know, that way at least I know where I'm at. But if you're in the dark, people typically do one of two things, right? They either stand still and freeze, which is what I do, and I try and get my bearings on a wall or something that I can touch, or they panic, like in an elevator that just all of a sudden stops and starts screaming, yelling, running around, throwing their arms all around the place. So you're going to see one of two things with children. Now, mind you, most children do pretty well, even through death and loss and tragedy. They have hard times. It's sad. And if we keep life moving forward, which doesn't mean don't talk about it. It just means we still want to have our routine. We still want to have our dinner. And we keep doing life as it normally is. 
they can generally get through it. Now, here are some things not to do. Notice I'm breaching that subject first. Then I'll get in the to-do things. But here are some things not to do. First of all, don't talk or watch or hear it around you all the time. It's kind of like when September 11th happened so long ago, 2001, and the planes were crashing into the towers. We didn't know what was happening. So many teachers turned the TVs on in their room because they wanted to know what was happening, to see what was happening to our world, our country. But that actually meant that students were then watching, which filled their brains with a bunch of news and probably more information than they need to know. So it would be like me opening up my checkbook and my financial situation to my children. It's more information than they need to know or can comprehend. But if they see that we owe and pay this much money, they might start getting worried that we don't have enough money to make it in life. And it, it just it's unnecessary. So we want to make sure that when the news is on or the radio's on or, say, a friend or a neighbor is talking about a situation when it comes to death and loss, that we realize who's around. And when young children are around, especially under 10, we really have to watch what we say around them. So the don't is definitely don't bring it up, talk about it incessantly or in big detail when around younger children. And then the other thing to do or to not do is to make promises. We want to work really hard not to guarantee children that everything's going to be fine. I will alter for you. And I say that, y'all, because I've seen parents pass away, one parent, father or mother, and then another one pass away. And we cannot guarantee anything. Now, it doesn't mean you don't let them know that you're there for them now and you're confident. You just don't want to throw in, hey, you never know. might happen to me too. You don't want to go there. You just want to go to the Prince piece of I know it's scary. I am here for you now. And, you know, like Kelly said, if you've got any faith practice as far as God goes, that you say, you know, our faith is in God, and that's where you can read Scripture, that's where you can pray, that's where you can have people around you, friends and family, to be able to talk to. But you really want to try not to make promises like this will never happen to you, this will never happen to me, because you can't make that promise and it actually can do more harm than good. That's different than I'm going to put my child on the slide, and they're going to go down the slide, and they're scared because it's kind of high up, and it's safe that you hear them a lot more, that you're going, or they're holding on to the monkey bars, and you are there to catch them, and I am going to catch you. That's a little bit different than a death scenario because none of us know when it's actually happening. So don't make promises, number one. Number two, work really hard not to over-explain a situation of death or loss. Sometimes as adults we get very wordy, and so we start to talk about um, what happened. We start to share details. We start to give them you know, information that they don't need to have. They start to ask more questions. We start to talk more. Uh, we start to uh, get into too much detail. That's simple as that. I'm not going to over-explain this one because not over-explaining is critical. 
Keep it as simple as you can. And the younger the child, the more concrete their world, which I'll get into next. And the third thing is not to deny their feelings. This is huge, y'all. Really try not to deny a child's feelings when it comes to death. If they're worried that it might happen to them, you want to try really hard to say, this will never happen to you, which, again, is that promise thing. Um, I'm really, really sad about this. Well, don't be sad. He's in heaven. You want to really try not to deny a child's feelings because those are their feelings and they need to be able to have them. Even if it's angry, I'm angry because my grandpa died or I'm angry at God for taking my friend. You want to try hard not to say, well, don't feel that way. That's not nice. Let them have their feelings when it comes to death, loss, tragedy, grief. Very important. So don't deny their feelings. And lastly, don't lie. Whatever you do, don't lie. Because if they find out, it totally breaks down the relationship. It makes huh, it makes things that much harder to recover from. So you want to tell, you want to be honest. And that doesn't mean tell all the details. Be honest. And like with the situation Kelly's talking about, you, they honestly said, just don't know all the details. And so I am just waiting to hear. So you don't want to make up details. But again, when they say, you think this will happen to me? You can't say this will never happen to you, okay? So you, you want to try not to lie. Again, things not to do, make promises, over-explain, deny their feelings, or lie. Stay away from those. Now, let's try this. I know I'm dumping a lot of information, but hopefully it's, it's soaking in. And if not, replay the show and listen and take notes. It's real important to understand cognitive growth in your child's brain because when it gets – under six, seven years old, they're still in a pretty primitive brain, which means concrete, uh, basic thinking brain. They're very ego-centered. They think a lot about themselves, and that can be in a good or a bad way. For instance, when children experience a divorce and they're three, four, five, six years old, very often because they're ego-centered, which means the world revolves around them, they will be mad because that happened in their life, and that's not fair because I don't like it. It's like I want this toy and you should give it to me. Or they think about it in a bad way, which is it's my fault. I did something to cause this divorce to happen. And they blame themselves. And they can't help it because that's what their brains do. They're wrapped around themselves. So when it comes to death, they don't understand death as kind of a final thing, like death is it's over, it's gone. The, child, the person is not going to come back or my friend is not going to come back. It's real hard for them to grasp the reality of that. And so they, um, when my child was younger and we experienced a loss close to us and he was under this age range, he kind of, uh, he would always wonder where that person was. Is that person in the car, in the house, in the trunk, in the where? You know, where'd they go? It's hard to understand a child that's under six or seven when it comes to heaven or any other place. So just know that it, you can't really explain them into understanding because their brains can't get it. They literally don't understand what you're talking about. And so you want to do more understanding of their feelings, like get them to explain how they feel or what they think happened or where they think this child's gone. Because what's important is how they feel, not that they have all the knowledge and the facts of the case. Okay, so under six or seven, they're very concrete. 
they don't get that life is final, I mean that death is final and the person is gone and they will not be back. So that's why it gets really hard down the road. Like when is he going to come back or will he ever come back to school again or did he just move away to a different place? You know, don't be surprised if they come back with a question that to us adults is like, no, because they passed away, they're not coming back. But children many times don't get that when they're under six or seven. When you get to that eight, eight to a old range, they get like a lot better processing-wise. The speed is much better. So they do understand death being a little bit more final, like somebody dies and they don't come back. But it's still kind of in between because they still have kind of that thought of, well, maybe, maybe they could come back, you know? And they start to bargain and wonder, um, you know, if this happened, well, maybe would they come back? So 8 to 10, they get it a little bit more, but it's still not complete. And then once they get into like the 12 and up teenage years, basically, that's where they understand fully what death is and, and kind of factually what it means, and they can grasp that but teenagers tend to internalize it a lot more. So they tend to focus kind of inward on themselves, and they get into this, you know, could it happen to me kind of thing. Oh, my gosh, if this happened there, what if it happens here? What if it happens at my house? Or what if, you know, grandpa died? What if grandma dies? Or what if now my mom or my dad's going to die? And so they start internalizing it more, which creates more fear. So there is a difference depending on how old your child is. And we also have to pay attention to the stages of grief. I know that we've all heard them from time to time, but when grief happens, like when somebody dies and we've got to talk to our children about death, it's not just we had a conversation that our grandpa or our neighbor or our friend or somebody at church dies and they've gone to heaven. If a child has a relationship at all to somebody who dies, any of us have a relationship to somebody who dies. We tend to go through grief, and there are stages in that grief. And sometimes those stages are very quick and brief, and sometimes they are long, and it takes months to get through or even longer. The stages of grief, basically speaking, I'll run through them, are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Okay, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Basically what they mean, denial is no way. Couldn't have happened. I can't, no, no way. I can't believe it. It's just too much of a shock. I'm not going to believe that this actually happened. And so I, I just don't even want to talk about it. I'm not even going to go there. And it's, it's pretty temporary, but if the, the closer we are to a person, probably the more that, that kicks in. I will say this. I think sometimes the more faith, a faith practice or a faith life that people have, they tend to be able to uh, let go a little bit easier because they have a, a bigger belief in something. Second stage is anger, and that's just like dealing with the denial. It's it's just filled with upset, anger, hostility that this actually happened. Somebody could be mad, like I said, at God. Somebody could be mad at somebody who did this, like in Kelly's community. Somebody could be mad at the actual person that died, especially children. They could be mad at the person that died because how do they leave me? Because they're thinking concretely again. Why do they leave me? 
Or how come their parents didn't protect them, even though the parents in this situation died also? Or with grandparents, why did they leave me? You know, I wanted them to stay here. And so anger can still happen with that too. And then the third stage bargaining, it's really kind of that um, that back and forth kind of negotiating power so that we, you know, if I, maybe if I would have done something with young children in this way, if I was nicer to grandma or if I would have been a better friend to this guy, maybe that wouldn't have happened. And so we, as young children, they will start to think of themselves as a part of it, like bargain their way out of it. Maybe if it would have gone like this, then it would have been okay. Well, that takes some time to move through. And then fourth, depression, that's just the reality that things have hit. Somebody did die. I don't have that person in my life anymore, and now I have to deal with it. And this is one uh, we can spend a long time in because it gets very sad and very lonely. And the more help and support we have in the community around us with family, with friends, the better. But that's the reality that everything's hit. And then we finalize out with acceptance, which means this has happened. I understand it's happened, and I understand I'm still living and have to move on. And so we accept the fact that it's happened and don't carry it with us as a burden um, for our lives. Now, mind you, any of these stages, children or adults can go through in all different kinds of order. And we can actually go through one stage and go back to another one. So it's kind of like a spaghetti bowl of different feelings that children many times can go through. The hugest piece of all this, y'all, when it comes to death with children is communication. We have to be able to talk about it. Again, keeping in mind the fact that their age and cognitive ability is, is real, and we need to talk to them that way. We also need to know that they hear from different sources, school, home. Try our best to communicate. And communicate doesn't mean talking to them about all the latest details. If your child wants to talk about grandma or grandpa, great, let them talk. Let them draw a picture. Let them tell a story. Let them do a puppet show. Let them watch a TV show that grandma or grandpa used to watch or mom or dad used to watch. If a child's lost a mother or father or brother or sister, they might want to wear the brother or sister's hat or clothes or something. We have to open communication and expression is what's key for children going through death and experiencing loss in their life. They have to process it. Big people, adults, talk their way through their feelings. Little people play their way through their feelings. So you're going to want to, you're going to see them playing a lot too, and we want to try not to shut that down. So three things every parent can do to help. Three things. This is the biggie. Number one is to be honest. Be honest. That's why... Be honest, but be appropriate to be honest. Like you don't want to spill out details about death to a five-year-old the same as you do a 15-year-old. 15-year-old can take a lot more information. They can take a lot more detail. They can take a lot more uh, real dose. A five-year-old can't. And so you'd be very basic and concrete with a five, six, seven-year-old. Now, mind you, you don't want to not talk about anything. You want to give some kind of detail, but be honest about it. Try not to make up a story. 
you know, that a plane came down and picked up these people or an angel came down and picked up these people, that sometimes when there is a death, especially when there's a murder, but when there is a death that, say, a car crash or something, you want to try not to make up what happened. Otherwise, it can be tough if children ever find out that's what can be tough. And so age-appropriate. Mind you, especially like if there's a suicide or something, you might not want to tell a child exactly what happened, the details. But as they get older and as it becomes more age-appropriate, so and being honest, you just wouldn't give them as many of the details. As they get older, you might have to be more honest. Older they get, the more clear you make it. Secondly is to be concise. Be very concise to only say what needs to be said or only answer what the child is asking. Try very hard not to read into a child's question. I know what you're asking, so let me give you the story about this. Okay? Be concise. Keep it as short as possible. Remember, we have two ears and one mouth. That means we should listen twice as much as we talk. I would do that with death and children. When children come into our office, we want to work really hard to understand where a child is and how they feel. Lastly is to be available. Being available means spend time. When there is tragedy, trauma, or death, whether it's a friend, neighbor, parent, some other relative, spend time. Plant it into your schedule where, and then generally speaking, y'all, with children and death, you want to try to avoid it during bedtime. I think that's, I know that's obvious, but I just thought I'd say it. And probably avoid it before they head off to school just because they're leaving you and there's detachment. You know, you want to spend time maybe on the way home from school. You can talk a little bit at the dinner table, just not tons of detail, but just how they're doing and what they want to say about it and what they've heard, if there's anything, not tell me what you heard today, what did the teacher say, what did she say. Try really hard to give space, but open a door and say, I am here if you want to talk. Sometimes with younger children, you get the four, five, six-year-olds, and they've heard that somebody's died. You want to be able to take play materials out. You know, you take Legos, blocks, dolls, puppets, things like that out in your house and just play a little bit with them and try really hard to let them lead the play. And you just kind of with words talk about what they're doing and how they're feeling. That will help them get out the feelings um, that they got. And that's what it's really about. It's just getting out the feelings that are inside. Okay? So, again, three things a parent can do to help. Be honest, be concise, and be available. Those are huge. Now, I want to address the specific situation that happened in our community because I think it could happen in any community, and I think it has happened in a lot of other communities. But when there's a death like this, there was a murder. Four people in a regular old, wonderful, upper-middle-class neighborhood that had two parents, two children, second grade, fourth grade. They still don't know what happened, but the people were murdered, and it was four days before they actually realized it and checked on them and found this, and now they don't have clues to what actually happened, okay? Children go to school. Now all of a sudden they're not at school, and this is a school community where all the students live in that neighborhood. It's different than other districts, school districts, where children come from several different communities. This one comes from one. 
Kelly made a great point earlier that teachers who taught these children or knew these children or knew this family are upset. They're hurting. They're grieving. They're going through the grief process. So even if the children have no clue or weren't affected at all by the loss of this, these two children, the second and fourth grader, they still will see grief in the teachers or in the parents or in the other students, okay? So even if your child has no connection to these children and otherwise wouldn't really say anything about it because their life goes on, they might be watching. I noticed so-and-so is really sad or I noticed Miss so-and-so has had a hard day or was crying or was upset. And on top of that, there's no real perfect way to handle it in our world. But in our school system today, public school system especially, we kind of just don't talk about it, and so details don't come out. When details don't come out, they're made up, especially in a school where you have kindergarten all the way to fifth grade. So different stories start leaking and filtering. Kelly, who has a first and fifth grader, so three children in the same school that these two children went to, she has three different grades where information can come from. And I promise you the information that our fifth graders hearing is different than the second or the first. So they all come home and they all can share information. So I want you to know that in this specific community, we want to be very careful about the information we spread. Whenever there's an investigation like this where they don't know what's happened, we want to work really hard to downplay the details of the event and to upplay the feelings the children have. Because sometimes children get kind of drawn, not addicted, but drawn to the conversation about what happened. There's just something in our nature that wants us to find out, know, talk about all the details, like gossip almost. And so if you ever notice your children as they grow up, first, second, third, fourth, fifth grade, they listen a lot more to what's going on. So you might be in the kitchen talking to your spouse, or you might be on the phone talking to somebody and not realize, oh, wait, my children actually can hear this. You know, somebody also might come up to you and start talking about it and not really, not, they don't mean harm. They just don't realize that your children can actually hear what's going on. So you may have to stop that conversation. In this Coles Crossing community, I would tell parents to be very, very careful about what they're saying around the children, your children, and be very careful about how much you're listening to them. Okay, so it doesn't mean bring it up 24-7. It doesn't even mean bring it up every single day. You know, about what did you hear? Did you hear anything about those kids or that family? Do you, if you're on that block where this family lived, then you might have more conversation about it than other people because there are probably police around, investigators around, people are driving by. It's just one of those things where everybody – is on alert. If you live in that neighborhood, but you're on the other side of the neighborhood where you don't typically drive by there, you may not have as much contact with it. But if your children are talking, listen. If your younger children are talking, get them to play or draw it out even. It's very good for young children to do art. Well, draw me a picture of what you're thinking. Or draw me a picture of what you heard today or, or how you feel like things happened because it helps them express. We don't have to rationalize it away. Well, honey, you know, aliens didn't come down and do this, and, you know, a, 
We don't even know at this point if a bad guy came in and actually did this to this family. They don't know. And so I would be very careful about throwing out speculation that today we say one thing happened and then tomorrow we say another thing happened. It's going to start to confuse your children. So work very hard not to talk in front of the child about the details of the case here locally and work very hard to listen to your children. Now, with the teachers, there's not much you can do about that. I know teachers do their best, and they're you know, trying to move on and, and keep coping with it, but it is tough. And all you can do is inform the teachers a little bit about what your child knows so that they at least have a, a tune-in on it. And you have to let your children know that, you know, sometimes when we lose people and they aren't here anymore on earth living and they've gone to heaven, if that's your faith practice, they've gone to heaven, then uh, it gets that. And we miss them. We still want to see them. And so I think sometimes you're or your friend, if it happens to be a friend, or your neighbor, or somebody else, you know, whoever it is that they notice, your child, I notice someone's so sad or upset or crying or talking about, we miss them. And so the one way we can keep moving on is to talk about them. So they might want to tell stories, or they might want to cry, or they might want to, you know, feel sad for a little while, and it's okay. Your feelings are okay. Because sometimes kids, believe it or not, even feel guilty because they're okay. (laughs) They will feel guilty sometimes because I'm not affected by this. I'm not as sad. I've seen teenagers pass away in high school and other students be devastated by it, and then some are not. And it's okay. Death hits us all different ways, but we need to honor those who really are feeling it Um, And remember, detail, the better. Also in this community, you want to be able to keep the routine as much as possible. Okay, so try to continue on. Don't let the news come on and they're telling the story about this situation in Coles Crossing tonight. Don't let that news all of a sudden stop and you say, kids, get out of the room, I've got to watch this. You can watch the news later. It's online, it's on Facebook, it's on everything. So you can watch that later. It's important to keep the same routine, but again, filter out all the news as much as you can on the radio, on the the telephone you're talking on, or on the TV. So keep it going as regular as possible. If you're that worried about your child being upset or sad or affected, then take a few minutes each day, like I said, after school or when you get home, to just say, you know, tell me how you're doing. Let's just sit and talk about it, you know, be just quietly kind of chilling, maybe go to get a soft drink somewhere and just sit with each other. But again, like with Kelly, you wouldn't take your fifth grader, your second grader, and your first grader all together to talk about it all the time. The fifth grader may need to talk about fifth grade stuff, and that's where you'd move the other two out of there. Okay, so make sure you listen. Try to keep the talking to a minimum. And try really hard to explain to them what death is, which means something very sad happened, and that's how I'd explain it, rather than the details of, well, I think it happened with somebody coming in. Rather than those details, something happened, I'm not sure what it is. When I hear more about it, I will tell you. But I can 
when the real news comes out, you can hear it from me. I know you might hear stories from you might hear from teachers, you might hear stories from people. You can trust me to tell you as soon as I find out and I'll hear the same information that other people have, just maybe not at the same I will tell you what's happening right now. It's just very sad news that these people aren't here anymore. This second grader and this fourth grader have gone to be with Jesus or gone to heaven or gone somewhere, wherever your explanation is. And it hurts my heart to think that now, you know, all these friends and neighbors and people at school and teachers, we all have to live with this and know that that doesn't feel fair sometimes. I wish it And if you have another family member that's passed away, then you would kind of link it to that. It's kind of like when grandma passed away and she's not here anymore. You know, we can still tell stories about her and we can still remember who she was and see pictures, but we can't actually see her anymore. That you want to link it to something like that. But again, losing these people in Cole's Crossing is number one most important thing that we've lost somebody. Second is the fear in that community that's happened. In other words, there was a murder. What happened? What are the details? Are there still people around? You know, well, there obviously are people around that did this that could be in the same community. And the way to alleviate the fear of that piece with children is here's where we live. work very be safe and it's not our home and we're doing everything we can to live the same way that we did yesterday today tomorrow and to keep moving on and if it makes you feel more safe right now to stay in my bed uh, for tonight or for this week that's okay but you want to move past that as quickly as possible and you tell your young children that I understand if there's anything that needs that you need to be afraid of or need to worry about, I will let you know. Right now, I want you to trust me to let you know what's happening and that I will do everything I can or your dad will do everything and will take care of you to make sure that we keep living the same way that we have. But is anything going to happen to us? Well, like I tell my children, I can't ever say something is going to happen or not going to happen. But I believe in God. I believe in that I am taken care of, whatever happens, and I believe that I'm doing everything I can to be safe. When I drive, having my hands on the wheel, when I eat, eating healthy food, where I'm at, who I talk to, and who I'm around. And so our life is the same as it did before. And then it is quickly you can turn back and say, Tell me what it is that you're worried about. Or show me what it is that you're most afraid about. Or draw me a picture. And for a fifth grader, what I'd say is, why don't you write a story? Would you mind doing that? You know, write me a story or do a story about what you think might happen or will happen or you're worried about what will happen. Because sometimes parents get worried that they are almost inviting fear and worry and upset and making it worse. You're not going to make it worse by getting feelings out. You're going to make it worse by saying, that's never going to happen, don't worry about it. Or, oh, oh that actually could happen. And actually, you know, the same thing that the child's believing, that could, but not when you say, what did you feel like might happen? 
and tell me what it is you feel like is not safe in this home. And that's where they'll start to say, well, nothing. You know, we have an alarm or we lock our doors or you know, you want to be able to kind of reassure. It gets harder the closer to the core you get, the closer to that home on that in that neighborhood, on that street next to that house. That would be a lot harder. It's going to take a little bit more. But you can still work through it by letting children express through writing, drawing, or telling stories, doing puppet shows, any of that, how they feel. Okay, so quick recap of all of this. Three things you can do that will help is to be honest, be concise, and be available to them. Three signs your child is not coping well is that they become more clingy than usual. If they have regressed behavior, start acting younger than they normally do uh, as far as their age goes. And third, that they have anger outbursts or mood disruption, which means excessive crying or excessive anger and aggression. Three things not to do, don't make promises to them about that you can't keep or that won't happen. Don't over-explain the situation, words to a minimum, ears as much as you can, and don't deny their feelings. Actually, there's four things. The fourth one is don't lie. So don't tell them a story that didn't actually happen or it might get found out. When they're under six or seven years old, they're more concrete. They do not understand life as final. So, and they're also ego-centered, y'all, and they feel like either it was their fault or they could have done something that would have helped, and now they didn't. Eight to ten years old, I'm really eight to 11 or 12, they get more as final, but it's still in between, and they still wonder, maybe they could come back. I just don't know. And then in teenage years, they do start to internalize it more. They do get that life is, or death is final, and they sometimes think, gosh, Maybe it happened to me, which can get kind of scary. And then the stages of grief are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance, and we fly all through those stages. Y'all, there is so much to this show, and I'm going to follow up in a couple of weeks uh, with an author of a book who called Butterflies from Heaven, and she's going to talk about death and loss of children and how to explain death to children. So we are going to follow up on this topic in a couple of weeks in our community. We'll probably have some more news at that point. But if you have any questions, y'all, seek professional consultation. It doesn't mean therapy all the time. Sometimes it's like they do in my office, calling Kelly, saying, do I need to talk to Tom? What do I say? And sometimes it's a quick bit of advice, and sometimes it's, you know what, it'd probably be better. You lived on that block with that family. Your children are just coping well. We need to get you in and talk about this. And sometimes the children never need to come. You can give the parents words of encouragement and advice. If you have any questions, go to my website at tomstevens.us. That is T-O-M-S-T-E-V-E-N. Otherwise, tune in to blogtalkradio.com slash LPC. And check out all of my past shows. I look forward to seeing you next week. Y'all stay tuned for the latest updates. But again, TomStevens.us, you've been a great audience. I hope this helped. And go out there and listen to those children. Have a great day.